Welcome to today's discussion, The Future of Emergency and Disaster Management from Field Experience to Field Preparation, sponsored by American Military University. Now here's your host, Scott Massioni. Welcome and thanks for joining us. My guest today is Dr. Chris Reynolds, Certified Emergency Manager, Dean and Vice President of Academic Outreach and Program Development at American Military University. I'm your moderator, Scott Massioni. Chris, I wanted to start off by asking you a little bit about uh, your background as an educator at AMU. Uh, you're also a certified emergency manager. So explain to us a little bit about what your background is and how you, you came to be who you are today. Well, well, thank you, Scott. First of all, it's, it's uh, I appreciate the opportunity to sit down and meet with you this afternoon and, and chat. Well, you know, my uh, like many of us when we're young, we start our careers not realizing we're starting our career. And I started out in fire rescue way back in, gosh, 1975, 1976, and found that that was an avocation that I enjoy greatly. And I went on to paramedic school and uh, became, was basically involved in uh, firefighting, search and rescue, and those uh, hands-on fields uh, from the 70s all the way up to 2010 climbing to the rank of shift commander or division chief with a large fire rescue organization in uh, South Central Florida. Um, along those same lines, I also, like many of our students, uh, continued going to school. Now, back in those days, of course, we didn't know this really neat thing called online. All we had was the brick and mortar sit in the classroom, and right. you know, I did, <laughs> it was arduous at some times, but it was well worth it, not realizing that later on in life it would certainly pay dividends. So... Uh, continued on through school uh, all the way to achieve my doctorate. And having been involved in the military as well as uh, domestic responses really uh, gave me lots of opportunity to see a lot of things and to work with a lot of fine people. It's a pretty major incident. And you ended up retiring as a, a lieutenant colonel in the Air Force, right? Correct. Yes, I retired in 2013 as a lieutenant colonel in the Air Force, serving as the Emergency Preparedness Liaison Officer, or EPLO, at First Air Force at Tyndall Air Force Base, which was uh, part of the NORTHCOM mission. Essentially, we handled domestic emergencies and worked alongside our civilian counterparts, providing the defense support to civilian authorities. Great. Well, one of the first things I wanted to ask you about is, you know, it seems like every time we turn on the news lately, there's a new natural disaster happening. I mean, uh, last year's hurricane season was spectacularly crazy, and then now we have the wildfires out west. What is it that the professionals are, are feeling, especially when it comes to fatigue and tiredness, uh, when they're having to constantly hit the, these different spots all over the nation and, and even outside of the nation? Well, you key on a really important thing, and that is a recognition of fatigue in and of itself. And as you noted last year with you know Hurricane Harvey, Irma, and Maria that essentially struck the same area uh, and caused a uh, extensive amount of damage, you know, certainly had an impact on our responders, had an impact on communities. We also, as you noted, look at the wildfires that are out west and see, uh, you know, the amount of destruction and the amount of personnel power. I mean, one fire, instant complex fire alone, is almost 5,000 personnel, you know, and you consider to support those 5,000 responders, you need three times as many to support the logistics, to support the, the feeding of, the care of. I mean, it's a tremendous uh, impact. Disaster fatigue is quite real, and uh, I'll just give you a quick example that uh, instant fatigue is real, not just because of it being a disaster, but responders particularly deal with so much. It's very similar to what our service members deal with, with critical instant stress or PTSD. In fact, Florida, uh, where I live, Florida just passed a, uh, a uh, post-traumatic stress 
bill that recognizes the stress that firefighters, paramedics, and police officers and law enforcement officers undergo, mm-hmm. uh, or rather they face, I should say, uh, you know, from a cumulative effect of the instance they respond to. So disaster fatigue is real. And it's not just fatigue from the responders. It's also fatigue from the citizens because the citizens, you know, they are told to evacuate or they're told, you know, get out now and then nothing happens. Now, this is perhaps in the past and they get, you know, sort of laissez-faire when it comes to what do we do if a real disaster hits? Sure. And that is also quite dangerous. Can you explain a little bit about what they they feel? Um, You know, this is from seeing people that have been injured from from just being out there for hours and days at a time. I mean, it's just a, a lot of those different things that combine together, I'd assume, right? Oh, sure. Well, first realize that, you know, uh, your public safety professionals, your emergency managers, anyone who is involved in disaster or emergency management response have families, have children, have a home, have property. They have the very same concerns that the victims often have. And mm-hmm. You know, you really can't quantify the impact uh, on a responder seeing a family's uh, lives devastated by a disaster or by a flood. I remember during Hurricane Katrina, I was involved in the evacuation of New Orleans in Hurricane Katrina back in 2005. We were uh, going through much, much of the area that was flooded and just seeing the, you know, the despair on the faces of people that we were evacuating uh, to Louis Armstrong Airport and flying them out uh had a big impact, you know, so that's part of what you carry back with you. And I mean, it's it's not uncommon, I think, that anyone listening now could say, well, you know, they remember an incident in their past where it just made them want to hug their kids closer yeah. or want them to appreciate the fact that they're home safe and sound, their families are safe. Responders are no different. And the cumulative effect of seeing misery over a long period of time has a uh, detrimental impact. Yeah. It I'm, certainly does. I'm sure, Yeah. Uh, so I wanted to ask about right now there's a a wildfire that is devastating the, the northern part of California. And mm-hmm. uh, Seattle recently had some of its worst air quality because yep. of that. How how are people preparing for this so that they can stop future property loss, stop future loss of life and those kind of things? Mm-hmm. Especially, like we said before, these these are becoming more and more frequent, it seems like, especially in southern California. I mean, it's a yearly thing at this point. Yes, well, you know, the wildfires in California, you say it's a seasonal thing. You're right, it is. When Santa Ana winds kick up, it's not just, you know, around the L.A. area, but it's all around the state. And it's also just in the Northwest alone. You know, the, the, perhaps the most important thing that citizens can do that live in an area uh, that has a lot of vegetation is w- maintain what we call the wildland-urban interface or have a defensible space between their structure or their home and the wildland. And a lot of people either don't do that or they can't do it for whatever reason. So in those cases, it's critically important that you listen to local emergency managers. Mm -hmm. If you're given an evacuation order, follow it. Don't wait and see what's happening. Uh, Follow the evacuation order. I think that we've seen, particularly with the the car fire, where uh, the flames were moving so fast through these communities that people were literally swept up in the flames as they were trying to evacuate. Oftentimes in a wildfire, there's not enough time even to consider evacuating. So, you know, it's important that you keep an eye on the weather, keep an eye on, you know, whatever fires may be around you and uh, prepare accordingly. Uh, you know, have, have your family have a, 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 a home evacuation plan, have, you know, your important papers where you can get out. And that's what we do in Florida. 
is have a go pack or have a you know a go box that has your critical items in it so that if you have to evacuate you've got your life with you as you leave well we're going to take a, a quick break my guest today is dr chris reynolds certified emergency manager dean and vice president of academic outreach and program development at amu i'm your moderator scott Massioni, and this is a discussion of the future of edm from field experience to field preparation sponsored by american military university on federal news radio 1500 am and federalnewsradio.com American Military University is a respected educator to national security professionals, a distinction earned by never forgetting their students are priority one. They keep tuition affordable, attract field-tested faculty, and provide curriculum that helps keep you ahead of industry trends. When you enroll at AMU, you join a community respected by area employers. Get started at amuonline.com. AMU is part of American Public University System, which is certified to operate by CHEV. Welcome back to our discussion, the future of EDM from the field experience to field preparation, sponsored by American Military University on Federal News Radio 1500 AM and federalnewsradio.com. My guest today is Dr. Chris Reynolds, Certified Emergency Manager, Dean and Vice President of Academic Outreach and Program Development at AMU. I'm your moderator, Scott Massioni. Chris, uh, before we went to break, we were talking a little bit about previous uh, natural disasters and uh, you know like you said there's been Katrina there's been Harvey these really catastrophic disasters and you have also been in a, in a policy making sort of role in the past on this how has that affected you and affected the future of, of hurricane relief and and also natural disaster relief it's a great question Scott again I think the important thing to remember is that the after action items that are identified uh, post-incident is what drives the doctrine, and the doctrine often changes. Uh, I can tell you that uh, in the disasters that I've been involved with since the Oklahoma City bombing in 1995, uh, up through you know, certainly the major hurricanes, Andrew, Katrina, and some of the larger ones, the doctrine that we learned um, from that allowed us to modify and shift policy. I think one thing that's also really important to note is that the individuals that are out there that are responding to these incidents that are doing the hands-on search and rescue, that are doing the mitigation, the preparedness, the response and recovery operations, uh, a lot of them are involved in preparing the next generation. And I think that what we allow our uh, uh, participants, particularly at our university, at American Military University, our folks are practitioners. And many of them have years of experience uh, in disasters. Many of them have hands-on. Many of them help drive the doctrine and the policy, and it allows us to bring contemporary changes immediately uh, to our curriculum, um, and we're very proud of that. And do you have any specific peers or students that really stood out for that? Oh, sure. Uh, actually, I do. It, you know, it's difficult to name names, but I can tell you that uh, uh, at least two folks that, that are colleagues and friends of mine, uh, both with FEMA, uh, were involved in our education program. Uh, back in uh, 2004, 2005, and they've done very well. And they actually have helped develop much of the doctrine I spoke about earlier mm -hmm. in uh, you know, assuring that what we are teaching our responders or what we're teaching our emergency managers is, in fact, value-added. It's not antiquated techniques and uh, you know, policies. It's, it's based on the most recent feedback from after-action items from major incidents. One of the things I wanted to ask now that we're on education is what educational training components can EDM professionals employ that will better assist on the ground 
especially? First, I think that the number one thing that EDM professionals bring to the field is integrity and compassion. Those are two key items. And those aren't necessarily items that are taught. They are items one has and one's character mm-hmm. because you're involved in so much. Uh, in terms of preparation and education, obviously, the more educated one is tied in with experience, the better responder or the better emergency manager that individual then becomes. You know, they always say you can't teach experience, and, and we absolutely believe that. Uh, you know, you, you experience is only gained through time and effort, uh, hands on, you know, boots on the ground, hands actually out doing the mission and the job, and then tying in the educational component again, going back to what we do at AMU, uh, our students are practitioners. And it's interesting to note that they have years in the field or they're at a mid-level position somewhere in the emergency management arena under that umbrella. And they bring that real-world experience with them to the classroom. And your instructor is the same. They bring that real-world experience in. So it makes it value-added. So the preparation part of that is, you know, not teaching the experience, but it's honing the education and the skills one's developed over time and then making the entire package. And that entire package is a fully functional, prepared and trained, in our case, highly educated emergency manager. And for you as an educator, you know, are there certain things that – have evolved in training or evolved yeah. in, in in technology lately that have helped uh, with this, you know, saving lives or preparing people, uh, getting them uh, notified faster, those kinds of things? Absolutely. I, I think first you can think that every time there is a major incident, uh, the doctrine changes, mm-hmm. you know, lessons are learned and there's not a major disaster that's happened in this country where we have not done a lessons learned and drawn new doctrine or rewritten the policies from that. Um, Technology is always advancing. And I I would have to say that likely the most significant technological change that's occurred over the last, say, five or six years has been the use of social media. Social media is a platform that has greatly impacted disaster response because it provides and allows emergency managers direct contact with the citizens through tweets, through Facebook, through Instagram, you know, the presence on the web. Well, we're going to take one more break. My guest today is Dr. Chris Reynolds, Certified Emergency Manager, Dean and Vice President of Academic Outreach and Program Development at AMU. I'm your moderator, Scott Massioni, on the discussion, The Future of EDM, From Field Experience to Field Preparation, sponsored by American Military University on Federal News Radio 1500 AM and federalnewsradio.com. American Military University has long been a respected provider of higher education to the intelligence community. And today, they're leading the way with innovative doctoral programs in global security and strategic intelligence, attracting professionals rising to the top of their fields. Doctoral applications are now being accepted for January, and AMU's affordable bachelor's and master's programs start monthly to fit your schedule. Visit amuonline.com to get started. AMU is part of American Public University System, which is certified to operate by CHEV. Welcome back to our discussion, The Future of EDM from Field Experience to Field Preparation, sponsored by American Military University on Federal News Radio, 1500 AM and federalnewsradio.com. My guest today is Dr. Chris Reynolds, Certified Emergency Manager, Dean and Vice President of Academic Outreach and Program Development at AMU. I'm your moderator, Scott Massioni. So we've been talking a lot about education, how that fits in with experience and also with natural disaster relief and all that kind of stuff. You have a program called Masters of Disaster. Mm-hmm. Uh, tell us how that fits into to everything else. 
You know, Masters of Disaster is is really a uh, gosh, it, it it's such a dynamic group. It's a group that uh, three students and I started back in two thousand and eight and two thousand and nine with this new service uh, called LinkedIn, that, <laughs> which <laughs> which today, of course, you know, is is a rather large uh, you know social media presence as well as a professional organization where professionals can get together, I should say, and network with one another. And we started our Masters of Disaster group as a group of students and alumni and faculty that were involved at American Military University, AMU, that were involved in emergency management. We started with about four people that then grew to about, I don't know, maybe about 25 or 30, where today uh, in uh, 2018, it's now over 3,000 members. Wow. Yeah. And uh, which is interesting from the standpoint that it started out very small and it grew to what it is today. And our members are all um, alumni, students, or faculty of our EDM or our Homeland Security program at AMU. And these are individuals that represent the entire strata of emergency management, from the highest level emergency manager position in large cities and metropolitan areas to the small areas, you know, the rural parts of the country from firefighters and police officers to paramedics and nurses and physicians. I mean, it's all-inclusive. We have a very large group, and the main purpose is not just to network with one another, but we also, you know, uh, talk about doctrine, talk about things that are going on in the field. We moderate numerous discussions. We have an active jobs and career board where folks can find their, their perhaps their job or their career if they're looking for something new. The I will illustrate the most powerful thing that our Masters of Disaster group did was during the 2010 Haitian earthquake. Uh, in 2010, the earthquake that struck uh, uh, Port-au-Prince, Haiti, that struck the island of Haiti, created, as we all know, absolute misery. Uh, mm -hmm. Hundreds of thousands of casualties, uh, numerous buildings destroyed, and an area and an island that was very ill-prepared and ill-equipped to handle it. So immediately the United States became involved in that operation uh, through the Department of State. And FEMA had a very large environment and also. And in my capacity as an emergency preparedness liaison officer uh, with the U.S. Air Force, we also were involved with flying casualties in and out of Haiti. Well, not only was I directing the EDM program at the time, but I was also involved in a response as being an Air Force lieutenant colonel. And I had to actually uh, transition very quickly. And uh, our university president, uh, Dr. Wally Boston, was very interested in what the university could do to help. Hmm. So using the Masters of Disaster Group, we developed a critical steel database. And we put the call out to our MOD members around the country on who had critical skills that were needed, whether it be in construction, whether it be in uh, you know logistics, whether it be in planning or operations, you know, we asked people to throw their names up and if they were available to volunteer. And we were able to assemble a list of over 130 folks that had critical skills that could help in the disaster in Haiti. And Dr. Boston then sent a letter to the FEMA director at the time, which was Craig Fugate, a letter making those services available. Hmm. I know of no university or I know of no other institution that was able to assemble a list of critical skills needed uh, in such a short time. And that was done over a matter of a week. So but, very proud of our MOD group. And that was that facilitated that entire operation. And it also made us very much involved in, in a major incident that was happening, you know, essentially right next to Florida. And I could see that being especially helpful as things develop in a natural disaster and things that come unexpectedly. 
Right. One of the things I remember in both Katrina and Haiti is that water later on became a huge issue, issue with cholera oh, yes. and, and things like that. Maybe something when you're worried about the hurricane that maybe gets a, a second fiddle until a couple of weeks later. Well, you're you know? right. You're right. And, and, and if you work, look at this from a disaster phase point of view, that's in your recovery phase. And, you know, people say, well, everyone focuses in, in the four phases of emergency management, you know, uh, they focus on the response phase because that's the excitement. Right. They don't realize the recovery phase. And, and in fact, Haiti's still in recovery. Uh, you know, San Juan's still in recovery. I mean, New Orleans, in many respects, is still in recovery. So sure. recovery operations take a long time, but endemic diseases, like you mentioned, and in Haiti, particularly with the cholera and standing water, is a big concern. So uh, we've talked a lot about the United States. We've gone a little international with Haiti. So mm-hmm. let's uh, broaden it a little bit more in the international sphere. Where do objectives in EDM line up with the, the rest of the world? And, you know, with your time spent overseas, there's something called the Ravens Challenge, if oh, you wouldn't yeah. mind explaining that. And maybe some of the takeaways you've gotten from that event. Sure. Uh, well, you know, one thing I, I will say is that, you know, each country has their own disaster response capabilities and skill sets. I mean, we just recently saw outside of Athens, Greece, wildfires again uh, devastate Athens. Uh, you know, the Ravens Challenge is a international counter uh, improvised explosive device, unexploded ordnance. It's the world's largest UXO, we call it, exposition in the world. And we do it, it's done in Bangkok, Thailand. And it consists of teams from all around the world. Uh, a lot of those are in Southeast Asia that come together to learn doctrine on how to deal with unexploded ordnance, how to deal with, uh, you know, counter improvised explosive devices and weapons of mass destruction. Realizing that Military teams and uh, special police units are often called to deal with these incidents. So Ravens Challenge, AMU's involvement in Ravens Challenge is to provide the academic components, the actual sit-down of the classroom. In fact, we we do three uh, elements, three segments. We do chemistry of explosives, electricity and explosives, as well as weapons of mass destruction. We also do a joint task force operations training where we work with the senior command officials in Thailand and uh, essentially show them a lot of Western philosophies. Now, that doesn't mean that that in that part of the world they're not prepared. They're very well prepared. They've got a robust system. They handle explosive incidents very well. What we come in and we assist them with is showing them perhaps different uh, technologies that may be available or different skills that may be available. So realizing also that there are a number of unexploded ordnance particularly around the you know the Vietnamese not Vietnamese but from the Vietnam war I should say the Cambodian Thai border I mean there's just a lot of explosives over there and uh, the law enforcement agencies that are called to deal with them often you know uh, need to have the specialized training and we provide that it's a two week program uh, where we do the classroom section the first week in uh, Bangkok it's all classroom. Uh, we have interpreters. We have teams, as I said, from all over the world. This year, we have the FBI that's coming. We also have a large group from uh, Europe that is going to be participating in this. The second week, we go down to Wahin, which is in the not necessarily the most southern part, but it's in the south central part of Thailand, where we do the hands-on, where mm-hmm. we actually have what we call lanes, and within these lanes, they learn how to you know, diffuse an explosive device, or they learn how to do a tactical clearing of a building that may be held by terrorists. You know, it's a hands-on element of the training. And AMU has been involved with this with Ravens Group International LSE for 
Uh, this is our second year, and we're very proud of it. Our guest today has been Dr. Chris Reynolds, Certified Emergency Manager, Dean and Vice President of Academic Outreach and Program Development at AMU. I'm your moderator, Scott Massioni, and you're listening to Federal News Radio 1500 AM. For more on this discussion, visit federalnewsradio.com and search EDM AMU. Listen to the entire discussion, Future of Emergency and Disaster Management from Field Experience to Field Preparation, sponsored by American Military University at federalnewsradio.com.